Hey guys, welcome back to the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a fa- another fascinating guest with me today. Um, but this is going to be a really interesting episode. We're going to be getting everything from Gnosticism to Archons to um, the Goddess to Simulation Theory. And who I have with me is Saul Luckman. And um, he's written a novel called Callie the Destroyer. Now, um, Saul is a longtime researcher of shamanism and spirituality. He is an iconoclastic psychonaut devoted to exploring and exposing the truth about human history and the potential, wherever it might lead. Now, his new novel, Callie the Destroyer, a page-turner of a sci-fi tale set in the Norwellian future, seated this Tobian present that radically rewrites Gnosticism as well as Origins of Earth and Humanity, was selected as the winner of the 2022 New York City Big Book Award and 2022 National Indie Excellence Award for Visionary Fiction, Silver Medalist for Visionary Fiction, the 2022 Reader's Favorite International Book Award Contest, and, and it won other awards. So this is a well-received novel. And uh, he has another book out called Snooze, The Story of an Awakening, which is a deep dive into Hindu mysticism, lucid dreaming, parallel universes, and cryptozoology, described by Indie Shaman Magazine as superlative fiction. Um, I, I, I just want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Saul, thank you for joining me. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, 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 one thing I wanted to start off with, and I, I didn't even I mention this in my notes, but I, this, is, this is so important, is you're a psychonaut as well? I mean, that's how I look at myself. It's just someone who's journeying into a lot of different territories of consciousness. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you ever experimented with uh, uh, psychedelics as well? Sure. Yeah. Starting, starting in college and, uh, well, maybe right before college, but, uh, certainly my first, my first experience, uh, was my freshman year of college with my first experience with true psychedelics, as opposed to just like marijuana, for example. My, uh, my, my thoughts on this is like, you know, whether it's THC or whether it's like some form consciousness opening drug. Now I'm not, I'm not endorsing like any like hard, you know, like cocaine or any drugs like that i'm talking about like strictly psychedelics i think they are for consciousness expansion purposes and i think they're the first wave because usually we experiment with them when we're young so this is the first wave of the awakening process um and you know we saw it in 60s with the hippies and then now in our generation you know i'm 40 years old so you know like it's like it seems like that this is like um the, the first awakening that tool, do you think that maybe something sent to us, maybe by a simulator or a simulation, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, have you read James Fadiman's work? No, I have not. Um, he, um, he wrote, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to pull him up on, uh, just to make sure I've got him, uh, got the name right and everything. Yeah, this is, um, Let's see. Let me let me be absolutely sure. I've not got the hard copy of my book. My son's actually reading it right now. <laughs> so we'll yeah. see where that goes. But he wrote the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide: uh, Safe, Therapeutic, and Sacred Journeys. And a lot of people think of that as kind of the Bible of uh, of how to explore, how to be a psychonaut safely. And, um, you know, with honor uh, and also with, you know, with intelligence. Um, so this is a great, great book. And he, he, the book really covers the gamut from microdosing all the way up through kind of um, moderate journeys into what he calls heroic journeys when you, you do a lot with guidance and that kind of thing. So um, 
Yeah, I would have to say my experience, uh, a very impromptu experience that I fictionalize in my first novel, Beginner's Luke, uh, with, uh, with uh, psilocybin was a tremendous awakening. I never saw the world the same again after that. Um, I did it, uh, you know, some more times in my, in, particularly in my 20s, and I did it actually some uh, later on in my 30s when I was living in Japan, uh, in, basically in Tokyo, and, where it was legal at the time. You could walk into oh. a, you could walk into a head shop, and there were dozens of these scattered throughout Tokyo. Were they and mushrooms? I, mushrooms. Yes, they were. They were high quality psilocybin mushrooms wow that, that makes me think that like there has to be like you know like you you talked about you did a show with jason like that i know jason talks about like the benefactor like that there's someone looking out for us like would you say that those are planted there or these things are planted in our society for consciousness expansion by some kind of greater force yeah, I, I absolutely believe that. I, let, let me just take the example of, and I'm not like a big user of any of this stuff, you know, and haven't been for years. I'm just, I have experience with it and I've done some microdosing and that kind of thing. But to take the example of the cannabis plant, people who have studied uh, cannabinoids and they have come to the conclusion that we possess what they call an endocannabinoid system, where we actually interface with the natural world. The cannabinoids basically fit us genetically like a series of keys. It's unfathomably precise how this works. And, you know, people who have really looked at this, like Dr. James Courtney, I think is his name, or William Courtney, I can't remember. I'd have to go back into some of my notes, but I, I followed him for years and he studied it in depth, this, this phenomenon. And he basically has concluded that there's no way that could have happened by chance, that this was some kind of, you know, primal meeting between humanity and the plant kingdom. So if you want to go beyond that, like, you know, is this a gift of mother earth or the benefactor or that kind of thing, all that's pure speculation, but but there are way too many perfect fits between cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system for that to be somehow random or accidental. Yeah, I know. I, I take THC sometimes before podcasts, and sometimes it'll do like wonders for me, especially like if I feel like I'm having a psychic attack, which happens a lot. It's not, it's not even like stage fright or anything like that. Like I don't get stage fright. It's like, it's more like literally like I feel like, like a, I feel like I'll be in front of the camera and I'll start to be starting to get weak and I'll start to get pains and like, it's real weird. So, you know, we've been covering that a lot lately about how pe people and entities can give you psychic attacks. So, you know, I'll take some THC before a podcast and like it, I feel great, like right going into it. But then sometimes it also makes me forget things like, like when I'm about to ask a question. <laughs> so it's like a double-edged sword sometimes, but, but I know what you're saying because it was some, when it does hit like good, it works well for what it does. It, it seems to like mesh well with my body. Well, you know, the higher, the lower THC, higher cannabinoid types of, um, uh, you, you know, plants uh, affect you very differently too. They can give you a, a little bit of an altered consciousness, but they're, those are actually more typically more therapeutic and can work on a range of conditions and have been shown even to have positive effects on people with cancer and that kind of thing. So, you know, you can go 
high THC and then, you know, kind of blast yourself out and that there's a purpose and a, you know, a use, use case for that. Or you can go low with more CBD and get more kind of long-term and health benefits, pain reduction, that kind of thing. That's pretty amazing. So how did you get into uh, writing? Oh, goodness. I, I, I really always wanted to write since I was, um, I want to say around the sixth grade when I first read The Hobbit. I, I read The Hobbit. And, uh, you know, the, the book is such a classic. And, um, and then they did, um, you know, Peter Jackson did a Hobbit trilogy after the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, you know, it was good, but not great. I thought the Lord of the Rings trilogy itself was very, very good. Not, not perfect, but very, very good. So, you know, The Hobbit what we get in that trilogy is interesting they tried to make make it more epic than it was as a book they probably would have done better to just try to make a film of the book and make it really really great but you know it is what it is and so i i just knew that i wanted to be a writer and i just started learning the craft i i wrote uh, a, a book when i was in high school it wasn't very good i wrote a bunch of short stories when i got to college i took a lot of creative writing classes and and literary literature courses and and that really that really uh, set me on a path of just learning how to how to put words together how to think narratively and um and then i went on to graduate school and 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 did work in literature at at that level where I learned more about, you know, how to think from a non-fictional perspective and how to write non-fiction and that kind of thing. So my, my, um, my first book that I published ended up being non-fiction, even though I, I really wanted to write fiction. I had, I had writ already written uh, Beginner's Luke at that time, but it wasn't published. So, and then I published it, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And, I, and even though I had, been, I had been offered a contract by this pretty well-known New York uh, publisher for Beginner's Luke, and I turned it down, and I would do the same again. Uh, it just wasn't right. I didn't want to give away my rights into any uh, English language publishers. I'm 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 perfectly willing to consider having my books published in other languages where I would give the rights away to, let's say, a French publisher or a Spanish language publisher or something like that. But I really want to keep my rights to my my um, my work in English. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. And I heard you say that you had a mystical experience similar to ET contact when you were in Brazil. Can you get into that? Yeah, yeah. You know the higher side chats. You know, uh, you know that that podcast. Harwood. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, yeah. Greg, uh, he interviewed me, and he he kind of uh, brought me out of the closet on that a little bit. You know, and he was the first person who publicly, in my presence, described my experience that I describe and potentiate your dna my book potentiate your dna he described it as a, a, a contactee experience and uh, i thought that was really really interesting but you know to this day i i don't um i don't believe in aliens i don't believe in e, you know et I, I think we're in a simulation i mean maybe there are simulated aliens in et it's just like they're simulated us or whatever but i don't believe that intrinsically people are visiting us from distant planets <laughs> so whatever happened to me that i describe as these bright lights that came across the ocean and pop and hopped into my body uh, and into my partner partner's body as well her name is lee 
that's what initiated this uh, healing in, in me. I was really, really sick. I'd gotten jabbed uh, with travel vaccines before going down to South America to do dissertation research and ended up spending a decade of my life in an autoimmune hell. And I, this was how I got well. I, I took this shamanic journey down to Brazil and had this mystical series of mystical experiences really, and was given these codes to seeing myself back to wellness. And I write about all of that in, in uh, my two books on regenetics, uh, conscious healing and potentiate your DNA. What, what do you think it, ha it was if you had to speculate? Like, I mean, I know you just said that it, it might be, it could be like, you know, I, I have no clue, to be honest with you. Like, I try to think about this all the time. I don't know. It's, I don't know if we're being visited or not. I, I don't, I don't have an answer. I just kind of report what I, I just interview people and I report, but I, I, I know people talk about interdimensionals and stuff like that. Like, do you think that there, there could be interdimensionals and, do we even as a society understand what that even means completely? Like, I know we all believe <laughs> in string theory, but nobody, not many people have actually been to another dimension. You know what I mean? So. Well, the, uh, the, the physics that I, I like the most that, and it, it passes the smell test for me in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but one, the most important way perhaps is that it's, not actually that complicated. I think that a lot of the physics that we get, like string theory and stuff, is so baroque and complex that it's probably in error. Even if we were living in a real world, it would probably be wrong. So in the 1950s, there was an engineer, a very bright guy named Dewey Larson. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote uh, a series of books where he outlined his theories on what he called reciprocal system of physical theory. And he basically said that we live in two domains. We, uh, in our physical bodies, in this, in what we would consider to be the real world, uh, we're living in space-time. But when we dream, when we die, um, when we have certain mystical experiences, we pop over into a an, a, a, an inverse reality called time-space, where everything is backwards or upside down. That's so interesting. It's fascinating. So, so I used that as the physics for my last novel, Snooze, which is about this little kid who learns to harness the power of his dreams. And he basically awakens the cities within himself, the, the human potential that's mentioned in the Vedic tradition. So these powers to fly and do all these other things. These are the S-I-D-D-H-I is the, is the word. So he awakens the cities and he travels in search of his father who has gotten stuck in time space. And it's all very, very fascinating story. And it involves, you know, Sasquatches and all Loch Ness Monster and all kinds of crazy things. Um, but the, the physics of that world is is this Larsonian physics. And I said that I, I, I mentioned that even if we were living in a real world, because I think really what's happening is that we're living inside a simulation. I do too. I, I it's totally a very, agree. very advanced, complex, hyper-realistic uh, simulation. And that means that, that our real selves are outside the simulation, jacked into it. And again, you know, a lot of people have talked about this from a lot of different perspectives. This isn't just, you know, I watched The Matrix the other day and it inspired me or something like that. You know, this is a lot of people writing on this subject. And, you know, I, I've got a new interview 
uh, on my YouTube channel, Crow Rising, uh, of Jason Brashears, all about this stuff. And he, he and I took a, took a really deep dive in, into the subject matter. But I think what we describe as space-time is here in the simulation, right? That's our quote-unquote reality, even though it's not real. That means time-space, where the blueprints are, where the coding occurs, is outside the simulation in reality, in, in reality maybe with a capital R. Yeah. So we are interacting with ourselves in the real world. So very often when we're visited, we're visited by guess who? Us. We're trying to communicate with ourselves. So do you think we're the aliens that we think we're seeing? I think we can be. So these lights, these, uh, you know, I thought for a very long time, I've said it and written about it, that I thought that was kind of like my higher self trying to connect with me and give me this information. And in this model, that would make total sense. It would. It, it makes total sense. And, uh, you know, I was going to go back and go back to what you're saying. It's like a lot of us are feeling that we're in a simulation, but a lot of people don't even have the right words to explain what they're feeling. Like, I mean, like, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. I, I, I've been having things appear and disappear out of my view. I don't know if you watched my interview with Dr. Kim McGeorge. You know, she was talking about that. She said, you go outside, you, you, you spray paint an X on the ground, okay? She said every day, because she's a firm believer in sim theory as well, right? She said every day you take your iPhone or whatever, your Android, whatever you have. It's a smartphone. That's the, the point. But you, you take it and you take a same picture of the same thing this every single day. And she said, you will start to see things appear and disappear out of your reality. Stop signs, uh, things that are there that won't be there in a couple, you know, pictures ahead. And then, you know, whatever, whatever else that you think is in your reality might not be in your reality and things might show up in your reality. Well, that, that was happening to me when I was at work the other day. And I was starting to think, wow, whoever's programming the simulation is really starting to mess with me. Either that or they're, <laughs> they're trying to get me to realize something because what's weird is like, I'm uh, almost like I met a new woman lately. And I, I don't know if that has significance, but I think it does because we, we have a lot of synchronicities. And I know a lot of times love is blind and you, you don't realize what you're getting into, but this seems like there, there's a little bit more meaningful sim synchronicities, like like really, really, really meaningful ones, you know? And, uh, and congratulations. The, yeah, but there's, 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 thank you though. I appreciate it. But there, there's, there's issues. I mean, like, obviously, but, but, but what I'm trying to say is, do you think that like something's trying to get my attention? Like it's saying, Hey buddy, you need to pay attention to this. And, you know, or, or, and do you think that's why things can kind of like appear and disappear out of our reality? And if you had those, those, um, things as well. Yeah, I've had a lot of weird stuff, you know, for many years, I've, I've had some strange little Mandela, Mandela types of effects, uh, in, in my, in my reality. And I, I've known people, I've had clients, you know, who've had all kinds of really strange, uh, uh, you know, edits maybe in the, in the programming, you know, was it, was it a cat? Was it exactly the same cat? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like totally matrix, matrixy stuff. You ask why this might be happening. And I, I would say, first of all, I don't really know for sure. So I can only speculate, but I would say that there's major edits going on too, not just at the micro level or the personal level. I mean, 
one word says it all for me is mud floods. Like, you know, all of these crazy sidewalks that don't go anywhere and buildings that are buried and all the, you know, windows underground and all this stuff. There's so much editing going on that you can just see in the the geological and archaeological record. It's it's absolutely insane. I agree. So why it's happening, you know, could it be okay could it be your higher self your real self reaching out to you sure could it be something that's happening just in the simulation that you're reacting or with or interacting with sure could it be some product of your movement of consciousness through the simulation that changes outcomes absolutely uh could you know could other somebody else or something else be messaging you in some way sure why not that, that, that's, 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 that's all real uh yeah i gotta go back and watch your interview with jason because i bet you that was really good i i, I uh because you have really good theories as to why this might be going on i i, I uh that, that that's this is amazing now let me ask you this about your the healing you're doing like did you take the oh well i want to i want to tackle this i want to tackle what i think we kind of just did but why do you think you're getting these downloads uh, and, and, and then did you take this healing method and like, are you offering it to other people? Okay. Yeah. So when I, when I was really sick, um, I tried all kinds of things, spent all kinds of money. Nothing really helped that much for a very long time. Actually, a lot of things, uh, supplements and things just almost just made things worse. I had, I had some benefit from learning Qigong because it helped my energy levels, because I was really having a kind of chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia type of experience with just, just dozens of symptoms. So the, that helped. And then I, uh, I was exposed to something called allergy elimination technique, which is kind of a homeopathic technique. It, it uses, um, I say homeopathic, I should put that in quotes, but it uses acupressure to kind of reset your nervous system and your response to allergens. So you you know you might have an allergy to wheat and you go in and you do this thing, um, and with a, a kind of homeopathic exposure to the frequency of wheat while someone's manipulating your spine, and lo and behold, you might have less of a reaction or even no reaction to wheat, and that might be permanent or it might just last for a little while. So I realized then I'm like, whoa! So you can just do little manipulations and and actually change major responses because I had terrible food allergies. So I went down that that road for a while and until and actually learned how to do this and began and began making my living offering allergy elimination technique. And I was taught by someone who was very good at this and was doing her own version of it. But then I started getting worse and I realized that, you know, I wasn't going to the root of what was happening. So I began exploring what the root of illness might be. And as I kind of spiraled down through rabbit hole after rabbit hole, I ended up basically at, at a kind of what I called an inner genetic level where whatever our genetics is becomes frequency, becomes energy and vice versa. And that, that I realized was basically the intersection between space, time and time space. Or in this discussion, it was the intersection between the simulation and reality yeah so frequency is you're saying like so, no i'm saying that that point where you enter you leave what you perceive of as reality like with molecules right <laughs> yeah. when that when that 
turns into frequency and coding, you've, you've gotten to the interface between the simulation and whatever is programming the simulation. That's so interesting. How do you, how do you get to that point? You use language. So, in my, so you use vowels, you actually use vowels and certain frequencies, and you can speak through your genetic apparatus into reality, and you can actually change certain aspects of your own programming. Is that kind of like what the New Agers call light language? Or, or that would, this would be something completely different, right? right? Well, I've, I've always really not liked that term very much, and it's used so loosely and weirdly, and you have angels and ETs and everything in the world. But, uh, and I wouldn't even call it a light language because actually what, what Regenetics, um, it, it, what's happening with Regenetics is you are singing a series of vowels, and that's that's definitely not exactly light. That's sound. Yeah. And that, but you're also thinking a series of vowels. So if you want to call that light, great. So that's sound and light. And so you combine those two modalities, which are creating, you know, torsion or, or etheric energy frequencies or patterns. I believe that's entering into the programming level, which would be the quote, you know, reality with a capital R, and it's literally changing some of the programming that's giving rise to our physical form and our circumstances. So, so we could actually change the way our maybe like other things too, like not just our health, but like our uh, financial situation, or maybe job, or and do do you have to like all of it? Absolutely, all of it. That's so amazing. And do you, how, do you have to pinpoint certain things to get certain effects? Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, what I'm trying to say is like, do you have to speak certain words to affect uh, money? Do you have to speak certain words to affect health? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I feel like what happened here was there's, a, there's this vast programming language that exists in the on the other side of this interface that I keep describing. So if you want to call it time space and you want to hang on to a kind of vaguely Newtonian notion of reality, or if you want to call it reality, you know, uh, in, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the simulation and let it all be totally digital here or some version of, a, of something like a digital reality or a holographic universe, that's fine. Doesn't really matter. Actually, it works the same either way. But you're, you're, there's some kind of vast programming language. And I feel like what happened with Regenetics, with that first activation that I received in Brazil when the lights popped into Lee and me, starting with that, that's called, that was called potentiation. And then uh, sometime later, we got another series of codes called articulation, and then another series that we called elucidation, and a fourth series that we called transcension. This went over a couple of several years. Each time it was like we were working at a deeper and deeper level of the programming. And each level was probably attached to like levels of distortion or maybe like fragmentation. So really what we were doing was we were defragging the program at deeper and deeper levels. That's so interesting. That's so, and so one the first level was sort of like the physical level, but I put that in quotes because you know what is physical in a, in a digital uh, experience. The second one was the mental level. 
The third was the emotional level. And the fourth was what we just termed, for lack of a better word, the spiritual level. Wow, this is amazing. And and do you have like do you offer this to people like if they want to try to change their life or change their health or? Yeah, well, there's different ways people can experience uh, the work. I mean, there's, so there's these four levels, right? So the first is potentiation. That's where everybody has to start. So we do a monthly worldwide potentiation ceremony. You can go to phoenixregenetics.org and sign up. It's free. So the first Sunday of every month, typically, uh, we, we offer this to, to people who sign up. You can also get your hands on Potentiate Your DNA, the book. It's available also in Spanish, and it's going to be available pretty soon in French. And then all you need beyond that is a, a 528 me, a me, the me note from the Solfeggio scale, the me tuning fork, 528 hertz. And we, we sell that, but you can also find that online and various other places. And so you use the tuning fork to kind of keep you on the right note the, at the right pitch as you sing the vowels. And they and so say all that, that I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but 528 hertz. Yeah, they say that's the healing frequency, right? Right. That's what Leonard Horowitz has written a, a book about or books about, really. Um, he, he associates that with, with DNA and the love frequency and all of that. And I'm you know, I'm willing to entertain that, but in any case, it's very a very powerful uh, frequency for healing, no doubt about it. What do you think uh, the difference is between that and 432? Like, as far as like what what it does to our bodies or our whatever we are in the simulation? Yeah, it, you know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I mean, I've followed the 432 thing for a long time. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Air. They did an album called 432 back about, you know, eight years ago or something like that, 432 Hertz. Um, you know, the, the uh, Solfeggio scale is a particular scale that, uh, that Dr. Leonard Horowitz writes about in Healing Codes for the Biological Apocalypse. And it was discovered or rediscovered by Dr. Joseph Puglio, and that's written about in Healing Codes. So I would recommend that anyone sort of start their research into the Solfeggio there, and then a lot of people have written a lot of things about it since then. This was written, you know, a couple decades ago now. So I can't really compare it to 432 because I don't work with 432. I work with the Solfeggio notes, the, the, the primary six notes that form that, that scale. Um, so, sorry, I can't answer your question, but the, uh, the Sofeggio is beautiful. Um, you can actually, there's websites where you can go and listen to, to, um, like Beatles tunes and stuff that are transposed to that scale, you know. Is there really? I didn't know that. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Do they have other bands too, besides the Beatles? Yeah, I think so. I think that I, I maybe the software just does it and they, they can have, you know, anything they, um, anything they can get, uh, you know, copyright access to or whatever. I don't know how it all works, but, uh, you know, from a legal standpoint or even a technical standpoint. If you think about it, if you think about how music makes us feel, like music usually tends to make you feel good, right? Like if you have a, you can even get a brain buzz off of a really good tune. Like if you hear a good tune, you're just jamming out and you, you kind of get like that kind of like brain, brain type buzz. It's hard to explain, but it's, it gives you a euphoria, you know? So I can't even imagine what that would be like at a 528, hurts it would be like kind of like a like a like a high almost probably well um 
Yeah, it, it can be really, uh, when you're doing regenetics, for example, and you're chanting away, you can absolutely get high. You can feel very altered, you, you know, buzzed, lightheaded. You can have uh, visions. Uh, I, I think that it in, uh, increases your production of theta waves. Um, I, I, before we leave the topic of 432, I didn't want to just kind of just completely flake out on that. I mean, uh, I, this is a lengthy discussion, but there is an article. If you go to snooze to awaken with the number two, snooze to awaken.com, that's one of my blogs, and search up 432 DNA tuning. You'll get an article by Brendan Murphy, who is a regenetics facilitator, by the way. He's an author, a great writer, 432 DNA tuning and the Nazi-ization of music. So if you want to learn more about 432, check it out. That's so cool. I, I'll definitely check that out. So um, because the opposite is also true. Just as you can be made to feel wonderful by frequencies, you can also be made to feel rotten, and you can have your whole consciousness and frequency dumbed down by music or by, by, the, by the incorrect frequencies. I agree. I, I think that's, uh, I mean, like they, they talk about like EMF. I hear, I talked to a lot of people about the, the, the negative EMFs in our atmosphere and, you know, that we're getting from like our Wi-Fi and router and phone and all, all that stuff. And, you know, people go as far as to like buy Faraday bags for their phones. And I have one, I'm not going to lie. I have a Faraday bag because like I, I have to carry my phone on me at work and I have to have it on. So I have no choice. I'm not going to leave, you know, like, but like, I, I, I don't want to be affected by those negative frequencies, like, because I've actually had a problem where, like, I, 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 my friends actually didn't believe me about this, but this is, honest to God, like, I was walking around with my phone on in my back pocket for, like, a, a long period of time when I was at work, and uh, it actually started causing, like, massive, like, pain in my leg, like, I had, like, it, like, it almost damaged, because, you know, like, you're, it it's touches the, the upper thigh part of your, the, you know, like, leg like like below right below your butt like if your pants fall mm -hmm. it starts you know a little bit but so i was it actually like damaged like tissue in my leg so i mean have you heard of this and do you think that's possible yeah well let's see um i remember years ago where i would just put my laptop on my my thighs i ended up getting a kind of weird skin discoloration from that so you know that's really really freaky uh i know that um, now, what what caused your situation? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I had uh, I used to have a chiropractor who always told me never carry a wallet in your back pocket, and so that's in for him that was something that was just begging your alignment to go out. It was going to really kind of torque you in a bad way and could cause pain and discomfort and bruising and all kinds of things. So that's at least possible. That's what happened with your cell phone. Um, but maybe not. I mean, we'll never really know um, without doing experiments on that. Yeah. I, uh, to, before, I didn't want to, I, I still wanted to talk about Callie the Destroyer because I think it's a great novel. Could you tell the fans a little bit about it and, uh, and, and what they'd be in store for if they, if they purchased Callie the Destroyer? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was my, um, Callie was, oh, golly. So a little background before, before COVID hit, I uh, I had a dream one night, and um, I mean, I went to sleep. It wasn't really a dream. It was sort of like between worlds experience where I felt like I was being mildly electrocuted. And as this happened, 
this entire plot for a novel just came out of nowhere into my consciousness and it took all night long for the for the thing to download that's amazing though right <laughs> yeah it was a little freaky actually but yeah it was amazing and so the next day i i um i went on a bike ride with lee and we took fairly long bike rides in an hour an hour and a half sometimes and it took me the entire bike ride to roll out the plot to her so i have a witness i did this this was before COVID. And the novel is a kind of pandemic novel about this dystopian society that uses a psyop along those lines to introduce uh, a kind of, um, you know, draconian situation, an Orwellian reality. Like a 1984 and type reality. Constantly, 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 constantly. Wow. So, you know, so Callie is uh, this Gnostic novel. A lot of people have, uh, in you know, since I published it, they've mentioned my stuff in kind of in the same uh, genre as something like, you know, the work of uh, Philip K. Dick, a very Gnostic kind of uh, inspiration behind uh, fictional works. I don't know that I'm a writer on his level, but, you know, uh, there, there are some similarities, I suppose. In any case... Um, it's uh it's really it is a it's a kind of a re-mythologizing of the gnostic mythos in the spirit of john lash's work which he outlined in not in his image so you, you have a goddess there's also this idea of a consort of the goddess another eon another or aeon if you want to pronounce it that way you can pronounce it in both ways really probably eon is more appropriate but um, you—it's basically a love story between two gods, two eons, who have reincarnated to try to free the world from the tyranny of the archons. And and like for the for the I mean, who who do you think the archons are? Would you compare to them to like what we think gray aliens are? Yeah, and I use I use uh, I mean I've actually used that description before. I know um, uh, John Lash thinks that's what they look like especially the the drones you know the 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 uh the yes men of the archons the you know whatever you want to call them you know he, he basically says they look like um um fetuses and he's drawn pictures to show to show very very strange uh connections between what people have described uh in their contact experiences with you know what you would see if you looked at uh, uh, a baby inside the womb at a certain point. I mean, there's all kinds of very, very odd connections there. And, the, you know, the size of the head is so strange. I mean, we're this weird species where we give birth to children with, with these gigantic heads that, that barely even fit through the aperture and, like, what the hell is going on with that? And he has lots of theories about, you know, why that's the case and that sort of thing. But for me, my understanding, my sort of evolving understanding of, who and what the archons are is that they are they're aspects of the programming they are they are negative you know I, I even hesitate to use the word evil at this point in time because you know again if we're looking at this as a simulation we don't even know what we programmed for ourselves to experience we might be the writers of the program that we're experiencing on some level and that doesn't make us evil that makes us creative 
maybe a little mad uh, at the same time. So, you know, but the archons are certainly a thorn in the side to anyone who wants order instead of chaos. And they're, they're constantly fucking with, with humanity in various ways. Um, but I believe they're doing it as aspects of the simulation. But they can also affect people. It's like, I heard you say this, I, and I, I totally agree with this. I, I heard you say this in your interview with Matt Belair, was that they can be like mental parasites, right? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, again, stepping back and looking at all this from a, a simulation theory perspective, everything is mental. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to have people screwing around in the, in the way that we think of Archon's doing. It's going to be mental. They're going to be kind of reaching inside your mind, re, you know, looking at your reactions. If you're truly jacked into something, they're going to be able to look at your your you know your biochemical responses to whatever's going on in the simulation they can feed you data or information they can mess with the news cycle you know i mean example they constantly are they're the ultimate fear mongers that's how they they whipsaw people back and forth and create outcomes they are just constantly jerking us around left and right so that we they steer us down a, a certain path towards where they want us to go which is you know ultimately not to our best uh you know in our best interests yeah and or maybe it is because maybe all of this is about overcoming this kind of negative programming and learning how to step into our power and we do that essentially you know by first maybe giving the arc the middle finger but then maybe realizing they're parts of ourselves because or or that we're very related to them or that we even program them even in the the material interpretation of gnosticism that you find in a john lash as he rereads the ancient gnostic texts you know it's clear that the archons are our brothers and sisters or our half brothers and sisters we have the same mother which is sophia right yes and that's like the mother goddess, would we say? Or it's maybe, hey, could be the motherboard. The motherboard, I love that. <laughs> I, I love. I mean, think about, about it. it. Maybe that's what the goddess is. The goddess might just be the motherboard. I mean, in the Matrix movie, you have the oracle who would be the goddess, and the architect who would be the the god or godhead, and they are both their yin yang aspects of the simulation responsible for bringing it into being and they would also almost by definition in that instance be extensions of ourselves outside the simulation or at least our people outside the simulation who are writing and the program and creating the simulation that's so cool that's such an interesting theory i think the simulation theory is a very advanced way of of looking at our reality and i think it's the correct way to look at our reality because i mean i mean if you if you, if you think about it like even people like like uh john keel and charles fort and stuff like that were maybe starting to think like this like uh in in their in their in their ideas um I'm not i think quite, fort had to be yeah yeah so it's like so maybe this has been around for a while but like we're in a technological society it it works really well 
you know, because we were able to understand it a little bit better. Now, back then, they didn't have computers. So it was really advanced thinking for them. But now, since we have computers, it's easier to kind of put, put, put our grasp around it, right? It is. I mean, it doesn't stop a lot of people from being deeply triggered by this notion. You know, there are people who love nature, who love the planet, who love their bodies, who love physical experience, you know, and they also believe that if you call something a simulation, that means you're calling it meaningless. And, and I've got a little thing I'm saying to those people now. I'm like, I doubt very seriously that fighter pilots experiencing simulations would call them meaningless. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah, it's training. It's, it's training. training for them. So we're, we're in training and it's really meaningful. I mean, you know, and we're, we're, we're having love affairs. We're marrying people. We're having children. We're doing all of these amazing things. And as souls experiencing these things, that could have major impacts outside the simulation with the real people behind these avatars. That makes such sense. That's, that's that makes this all makes this was such a great interview. This this makes this makes such sense. Like, um, well, I, I don't have any other questions for you. Could you? Uh, by the way, you're a very intelligent and gifted individual. I just wanted to let you know that I really think you are, and I wanted to thank you for doing this. But could you tell everybody where to find your uh, website and your books and all that stuff? Yeah, let me let me plug my sub stack. I appreciate the compliment. I really do. I love your show. So. Um you know, good company here. Um, yes, go to sub Saul Luckman, S-O-L-L-U-C-K-M-A-N dot substack.com. And I've got a lot of really great content there. And I've, I've got a, I've got a paywall that's like, you know, a glorified coffee or a pizza a month where you can experience a lot of my books. And I'm about to release a 45 minute ish, uh, video tutorial of, uh, for potentiation. So people will be able to use a, a video to learn how to potentiate themselves, or they can use the book, or they can combine the two. And that's going to be an exclusive there at my Substack. So I really want to encourage people to go check that out. And I'm also over on Telegram, uh, t.me slash So you can, you can check those out. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, let's do it again. This is a fun conversation. I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface. All right. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you. Thank you again. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye.